0: Hey everyone, welcome back to a super awesome Vetfolio Voice episode. For this episode, I was joined by Dr. Erin Massacart to talk about topics like current and future trends facing the veterinary industry, the Veterinary Innovation Council, and the Veterinary Innovation and Entrepreneurship Certificate. Erin is such an interesting person to talk to. Honestly, I really had to rein myself in to keep from asking 47 more questions and turning this into a six hour episode. If we had more time, I really would have liked to dive further into the meaning of life at some point. And I'm only half kidding about that. We started off by introducing the Veterinary Innovation Council and the Veterinary Innovation and Entrepreneurship Certificate, which I immediately added to my Vetfolio classroom following this discussion. But our conversation touched on so much more than that. We covered artificial intelligence, telemedicine, workforce shortages, pet care in the home, and of course, the answer to life. I'll stop there and let the rest of the episode speak for itself. Let me go ahead and introduce Dr. Massacar and we'll get straight into it. Dr. Aaron Massacar is the Executive Director of the Veterinary Innovation Council. After completing his PhD in philosophy at the University of Guelph in 2011 and then teaching for five years, Dr. Massacar transitioned to veterinary medicine where he believed he could have a greater impact than what could be done in academic philosophy. His first work in veterinary medicine was with Texas A&M, where he helped to build their Veterinary Entrepreneurship Academy and the Veterinary Innovation Summit. He later started working on telemedicine with the Veterinary Innovation Council in 2017. While at Vic, he helped to build educational programs for the North American veterinary community and later became the Senior Vice President of Learning at the NAVC. After a couple of senior executive positions with Colorado State University's Translational Medicine Institute and the Veterinary Emergency Group, Dr. Massacar is back at the Veterinary Innovation Council and helping to drive awareness across the industry in domains such as innovation, entrepreneurship, and artificial intelligence. Aaron and his wife, who I should mention is a DVM, live in Colorado with their three dogs and two cats. All right, well, I'm really excited for this episode. I'm joined by Dr. Aaron Massacar, and we're going to talk about, Aaron, I don't even know how to describe our topic of conversation is here. So I'm just going to say thank you for joining me, and let's jump straight into it.
1: Yeah, it's awesome to be here. First time attendee, but long time listener. So great to be on the show with you.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I'm so excited to hear that you've listened to the podcast. Yeah. And thrilled to have you. when we sat down a little bit beforehand to kind of talk through some ideas, you're just you're just a really fascinating person to talk to. I'm really looking forward to the whole conversation. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about the Veterinary Innovation Council. So you're a member of the Veterinary Innovation Council. Tell us a little bit more about what that is and what role they play.
1: Yeah, so this started back, I think around 2015. It was really originally the brainchild of NAVC. And NAVC was looking at the industry and saying, like, how are we moving things forward? How are we really progressing and and driving positive change in the industry? And there was no organization that was specifically devoted to that. We have a lot of member organizations across the industry, AVMA, you know, they're really good at what they do, but they're not specifically focused on innovation. And so that's where it started. And then we started looking at some of the different topics that were emerging, telemedicine being one of the biggest ones. Who's doing What about telemedicine? And there wasn't really a lot of activity in that area, a lot of concern, but not a lot of activity. So we jumped right in and said, okay, let's look at telemedicine. Right around that time, I was transitioning out of my former life in philosophy and had an opportunity to work with uh, Mia Carey, who was one of the first executive directors there. And she said, hey, can you do project management for this whole thing called telemedicine? And I was like, sure, seems kind of straightforward, but Let's get into it, right? And so then uh, that was our first major project for the Innovation Council. And we just said, okay, who's doing what and where and how, right? Really simple. So who are the companies that are offering telemedicine services? We broke that down into subscription as a service or SaaS providers. And then there's a third party providers. Then there's a do-it-yourself approach where people were just using things like Zoom or Google chats, Google hangouts, and then we were looking at the regulatory landscape and saying what was happening there, right? And so it's just trying to make sense of these very nebulous, big changes that are happening in the industry and being able to say something positive about it and drive that conversation forward. And that's that's really been our mission since the beginning. We just changed our mission statement to uh, shaping the future of veterinary medicine together. That's what we're focusing on. So we have our veterinary innovation summit that we have every year, but then there's a bunch of publications that come out throughout the year of all these like interesting topics. Like right now, AI, super hot, right? So everyone wants to know a little bit more about that. And so we're trying to come up with something positive to say about that, that it isn't doom and gloom, but can actually provide people with the resources that they need in order to incorporate it in their practice.
0: That is I'm so glad that you broke it down into the examples with like telemedicine and AI, because thinking of innovation and driving positive change in the industry, I mean, that that's a lot to bite off right there. You mentioned you have a background in philosophy. I can see why you're like the perfect person to spearhead so many of these efforts. And I, I think breaking it down into efforts in telemedicine and AI and and some of these other big topics really... It makes it easier to, you know, at least for me, listening to you describe this, wrap my head around what it is that is driving this positive change in the industry, because you guys really have a tall order with that mission statement.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely challenging, right? Like there's there's a lot of concerns around what are these new technologies? Are they being developed by veterinarians? Are they even being developed for veterinarians or are they displacing veterinarians and veterinary teams? And so there's a, there's a big role for us to be playing in that sense of like, all right, let's break it down. How could each person within the veterinary care team utilize some of these resources? And so it's, it's simple things like, so, you know, we can talk about AI as an example of that, but for example educational sheets right so say your pet gets diagnosed with something and you as the care team needs to provide some educational resources for the owner well just go into chat gpt and type in educational resources for you know imha or something like that right like create a resource for a pet owner and you know people start doing that and they're like okay this is great and then they I've heard of people using very particular examples, like they knew that this client in particular loved basketball, and so they said okay, how can we explain something maybe not so complex as IMHA but something a little bit more straightforward like um, cruciate repair or something like that, how would you explain that to somebody who really loves basketball about their pet, right? And so you get into these like really specific ways of relating to your clients that people are utilizing. And it's like, that's perfect, right? That That's somebody who's comfortable using the technology, is able to evaluate its effectiveness because you can't just create that and hit send, right? You got to like read it and make sure that it's appropriate. But there's little things like that that just make everyone's lives better. And it's that kind of stuff that we really want to highlight and not the AI is going to take your job you know, fear mongering that's out there. That's that's just not the case, right? So, how do we how do we drive that productive change? That's what we're looking at.
0: Absolutely. My New Year's resolution this year was to use technology to help increase efficiency in my practice. I and mean, AI has absolutely been a part of that. And, um, in, and in some of the examples you're describing, I can absolutely relate to that of, hey, I need a discharge letter talking about a positive anaplasma and you know how we're gonna approach that and why we're making the recommendations that we are. And when you can type that into an AI platform like ChatGPT, and it gives me a written document in 30 seconds that it would have taken me much longer to write. Of course, like you said, I have to review it, make sure the information is correct, the tone is correct. And it's what I want to say to my clients. But when you use the technology in a positive way, then it's really been amazing the type of efficiency that it can create.
1: Yeah. And there's opportunities all over the place for that sort of thing. Whether it's client communication or team communication, I use it all the time like I am constantly creating new projects and I'm like why am I sitting down with a blank sheet of paper when I can get just a framework from chat GPT and then modify it for my purposes right so there's so many different ways that it can be used there are some concerns for sure around like what does the database on the back end look like how's that information being used and that kind of stuff and those are important questions to ask for me the benefit outweighs some of the costs associated with those risks but everyone has to be able to evaluate on that on their own i my big recommendation is just try it you know see what happens And most people find that it's incredibly beneficial.
0: Well, now we've gone down this whole road of AI and veterinary medicine. I feel like there's so many more examples of that, of technology and different just resources that are available to help make life easier in practice. But before we get into all of that, because I think we could make an entire episode just off of that discussion, another topic I want to cover is, I don't know if we're calling it VIE or VI, but the Veterinary Innovation and Entrepreneurship course that you helped develop on veterinary Portfolio. Can you talk a little bit more about that and its relationship to the Veterinary Innovation Council?
1: Sure. So uh, the Veterinary Innovation Council, as we were talking about before, uh, runs the Innovation Summit. And at the Innovation Summit, we have a pitch competition that's there. Innovation Council, you know, as part of NAVC, we help out with the startup circles. And so there's the pitch competition that's there and the selection of the different companies. What I've found over years of working with startups is that there's fairly common challenges that those startups face and they're they don't always get the resources that they need in order to be really good at addressing those challenges so for example every veterinarian that i talk to is a good innovator you're always thinking about different ways that you can make things better whether it's like Workflow changes or, you know, if this syringe was just a little bit different then I could be able to do you know A, B and C with it, right? So you're always thinking about positive changes. The challenge, though, is turning that into an actual business, right? And so nobody sits you down in vet school and says, like, here's a business model, Canvas. You don't need an 80-page business plan. You just need to identify your value proposition, your customer segments, and be able to communicate that effectively, right? So nobody really sits you down and has that conversation with you. So based on all my experience with all these startups, working with veterinarians, it was pretty clear that just a basic entry-level course into entrepreneurship was going to be helpful for these companies. And so that's what we developed. We actually... Imported some of the work that we had done earlier with Texas A and M and something called the Veterinary Entrepreneurship Academy, because a lot of the veterinarians were asking, "Where's my resource?" That was built for students, and so this is built for veterinary professionals and startup companies, and it's really the basics. So, business model canvas. What is that? How do you take your whole business plan and put it onto one sheet of paper and communicate that effectively? A lot of times, startups aren't really great at you know it even like a a five minute pitch is sometimes they're okay with that, but that's challenging. But just tell me in two sentences, just two sentences, what is the problem and how are you solving it? That's it. Right. And nobody really pushes people to communicate that. So that's what we're focusing on in some of the later portions of the course where we're focusing on the pitch deck. So it's, it's that, what are the basics that you need in order to get a business off the ground effectively? And our hope is that, a lot of people will be using this and how this ties back into the innovation council is we want to see positive change in the industry. And one of the ways that we can do that is to support startups and to support veterinary professionals who are trying to build companies and make it easier for them. And that's the purpose of this course. And as a result of that, the hope is that we'll have more innovation on in the space.
0: And I'm bookmarking that on my Vetfolio account right now. <laughs> be- <laughs> Because you're absolutely right. I, I joke around, especially here at Vetfolio, um, I'm like, I'm the idea guy. Um, but sometimes, you know, when it really comes down to some of the other aspects of developing that idea, it, it's really easy to get lost and not know where to go next. And what you just said, I think, was kind of humbling because, you know, you said that the elevator pitch, essentially. And I went, gosh, I kind of fell into my practice and I've been doing it for three years. And if you ask me right now, tell me in two minutes what what the problem is, how you're solving it and, you know, what your practice is all about. Like my head just started spinning. I, went, I don't know if I could do it and and really describe it because I don't know if I know completely. So you are really kind of bearing my soul here again to say, you know, my own shortcomings is certainly thinking about it from a personal standpoint. It seems like a very necessary tool to have available for veterinarians because we do have big ideas and we do want to make things better. And, And you're absolutely right. Everything we touch, we say, you know, how can we do it better? How can we, how can we make life easier and better for everybody involved? And so knowing how to make those ideas more actionable, I think could really, really like, like you, like we've said several times, bring positive change to the industry
1: yeah, it's it's interesting, right? And almost everyone that I talk to has the same reaction that you just had, where it's like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. And it's like, well, here's the deal. Most people can't do that, right? I would say like like ninety five percent of people can't do that. And some people end up with something that sounds good but is not actually reflective of who they are and what they're trying to do. And so, For me, you know, as I said before, my background was in philosophy and the whole uh, thing that I was trying to answer in philosophy was how do we live a good life? Um, And when I think about some of the stuff that we're trying to train in business, you can actually apply this to your daily life, right? What is your central focus? What are you trying to achieve in your life? And having that kind of focus and that narrow perspective on like, this is what success looks like for me if you can apply that, you can apply that equally well to business and to your own personal life. Like what are you trying to achieve for you? What are you trying to achieve for your business? What are you trying to achieve for your clients? And having that focus just puts everything else into a really great perspective.
0: Wow. It really does. Like, I I feel like I could sit here and reflect on that for quite some time. And actually I think that the answer is fairly straightforward when, when I really reflect on it from that point of view, but it's kind of like you're talking about like learning to, to look at it from a point of view where you can really get to the answer and not get lost in the weeds of like, well, I like this and I like this and I like this of, so, cause you know, if you say, what's your focus in veterinary medicine, I'm going to go, I don't know. I like everything. I just like animals and I like people and I like medicine. And then I have this, you know, wonderful area of, of being able to touch all of those things. But when you When you phrase it that way, I think it's much easier to say, "You know, why are all those things so important?" And what is it that what's the goal in in touching all of these things?
1: and the the main thing that that does is it uh, shifts you out of a reactive mindset and into a proactive mindset, right? Because then you start looking for the things that are going to drive that forward, whatever that vision is, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, you start looking for those things rather than, well, I just have to be at work today." You know, and it's like, no, like look for the things that are going to make you happier. Look for the things that are going to provide a more fulfilled life. But it you have to intentionally do that. You can't just expect that stuff to just happen on its own. And so it's really that focus that changes things and makes life a whole lot better.
0: Absolutely, you have to do the work to to get to the answers. Forty is it forty two? Is the answer to life? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we can make a whole episode just on the conversation we're having right now, and I would love to do that. But we have so much to talk about, and I, I don't even know how we're going to fit in all the stuff we want to talk about. But let's try. So, a couple of the the topics that you mentioned earlier were telemedicine and AI. If we can jump into another major topic that is kind of at the top of everybody's mind in the industry right now, and that's workforce shortage, can you tell us about, you know, just kind of your thoughts on workforce shortage in veterinary medicine and how you see us as an industry moving forward to help address this, of course, you know, with Veterinary Innovation Council in mind and everything like that?
1: Yeah, we're just starting to get into it uh, with the Innovation Council and when I start looking at the conversations that people are having, it seems like people are kind of talking past each other. Right. Um, so for example, AVMA uh, says that there isn't a long-term workforce shortage, right? Like that's their position. And you look at some of the reasons why they're saying that. And, you know, they're saying that some of the changes that we saw over the past couple of years and some of the challenges the clinics were facing, those have been short-term issues that once we're out of COVID more and we'll get back to the level of efficiency that we had before. And the pet market is not expanding at the rate uh, that certain people say that it is expanding at and on and on and on. Right? And then you know you have uh, people like uh, Jim Lloyd, who is a board member of the Innovation Council, and he's doing really great work showing the extent of the challenges and the, the shortage that's out there and using an economic analysis for that. And you have uh, people like uh, Matt Saloy, who is talking about um, clinic efficiency as one of the major drivers for the challenges that the clinics are facing, which leads people to believe that there's a workforce shortage. But one of the major challenges is just that the average appointment time has gone up by, say, five minutes or so. And so that drives inefficiencies across the hospital. The thing that I want to look at is just what are the criteria that we would use to determine whether or not there actually is a shortage, right? Like, does the Bureau of Labor Statistics say about this kind of thing? And then how do we use that shared criteria in order to stop talking past each other and start saying, OK, we feel like there's a shortage because of the following criteria. You say there isn't a shortage because of this criteria. You know, How do we come up with some sort of consensus on this? People are saying things like currently there's a shortage of 60,000 veterinary professionals, right? Right now, there's a shortage. Uh, And then people are looking at the number of vet schools who are coming into the space. And there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 to 13 vet schools who are currently going through the application process of becoming a vet school. Um, And so then what does that mean? Well, that changes some of the challenges that people are going to be experiencing because you need instructors in those institutions, and there's not enough boarded specialists to fulfill the roles of those instructors. So then what do you do? Well, then we go to a distributed model, which is not just a reaction. It's actually shown to uh, have its own benefits for being able to give people hands-on clinical experience before they graduate. And so um, there's all these challenges that exist, and they're all kind of rotating around the same issue. What is the actual state of affairs with regard to workforce shortage? Is there a workforce shortage? And what kind of institutional changes should we be making in order to address that? And there is an agreement on that. So one of the things that we would like to do is just say, okay, very specifically, what is the criteria for determining whether or not there's a workforce shortage? We can stop these arguments that are talking past each other, come to shared understanding of what we need to do as an industry, and then move forward. That might be a little bit overly optimistic, but that would be the hope is that we can at least sit down at a table and have a conversation around uh, what does this mean and, and what are we going to do about it?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. The different points of view, because I think about, you know, and, and obviously very, very surface level for all of this stuff that you said, but as far as, you know, the pet market maybe isn't expanding as fast, okay, the pet market might not be expanding, but is the level of care expanding, which is therefore increasing the demand on veterinarian's time. Um, Yes, you know, our appointment times increasing by five minutes, yes, but that the point of view of pet owners has also changed to where, you know, we're no longer just treating the dog, we're treating a family member. And so, you know, they need that extra time, there's, there's more to talk about sometimes in that regard. And, you know, of course, veterinary medicine has come so far so fast, like the products that have been developed for veterinary specific uses just in the last decade that were never even thought of before is unreal. So we have just so much more options to think about and to go over which places demand on time. So is it a timer? Is it a a physical bodies thing and you know then you get into gosh you like on and on and on so certainly i can appreciate the the need to sit down at the table and have that conversation and start to work towards some of the solutions one of the things that you talked about was going to a distributive model for some of these newer veterinary schools because we have specialists, but not all of them, of course, are in academia. And, and, you know, historically, that's who's done a lot of the teaching at vet schools. Can you talk a little bit more about that distributive model and putting students out into practice to get their clinical experience and maybe even some of the other ideas that can address at least the functional shortage we're seeing right now, even if it's not a physical shortage?
1: So I had the, the benefit of sitting in on what what is called cowbell which is probably <laughs> one of the best organizational names ever uh, and that that comes from Jason Johnson um, who's now at Idex but he was at uh, LMU at the time and it's called the consortium on workplace based education and learning so it's cowbell and at the end of every meeting he would say something like we need more cowbell you know <laughs> so, like
0: <laughs> i love yeah,
1: it it's pretty good so the the idea there is that instead of having a a clinic that students are getting trained in on site at the educational institution, then they're going out to all these different satellite locations. And so the school has partnerships with clinics all over the place. And so the students are going in and getting clinical experience at each different location. And there's a pretty rigorous set of standards that each clinic has to have in order to make that happen. And it it seems like the results from that have been really positive. I'm not an expert in this area, Uh, but it sounds like students are more confident coming out of those kinds of environments on the whole because they're getting that hands-on experience or working with the team and so it's not in these like kind of isolated silos all over the place you know so that's that's happening right now and and that's really great Um, and it's been happening for a while actually it's not radically new it's just the majority of schools who are starting are using that model rather than building a teaching institution there's a lot of other things from an educational perspective that I don't really understand. And this comes after spending the majority of my life in academic institutions. Um, for example, you have the exact same um, biology course that's taught at every different institution. And you're like, why do we have a person teaching that exact same course at each in, each individual institution? when we know that there's, there's better ways than just lecturing at people in order to receive the information, absorb the information and turn it into long-term memory. Why is it that we have one person at every institution teaching that stuff? Um, So some people are looking at that and saying, can we have shared curriculum across institutions uh, that is more active for the learner um, and takes a learner-centered approach for those students? There's, Other things like some corporate groups are who specialize in particular areas like radiology, for example, they're offering some of their material to the schools and the schools are then bringing that into their curriculum. And so these are different ways of addressing some of the shortages. Another one is uh, one that I'm very closely familiar with, which is having non-boarded specialists teach students where you don't need a boarded specialist in order to teach them. So my wife teaches at CSU and she teaches basic surgical techniques and she's not a boarded specialist, uh, but she's pretty proficient in surgery. And so she's in there teaching Eleanor green while she was at Texas A&M, she, I think she called them VIPs, very important practitioners or something like that. So people with lots of experience who want to be part of the educational training of students, how do we get more of those people in? where you don't need to be a boarded specialist because you're not dealing with really complex cases, but you're just kind of taking care of the basics. You know, why don't we have the board of specialists working to the top of their license to put it in a different way and have vip's come in to teach some of the basics that they need and maybe overseen by a specialist or something like that you know so there's different ways in which people are trying to address this the shortage which i think no one is going to be the solution but there's different approaches that are going to help to alleviate some of the burden
0: yeah and and important to be having the conversation you know picturing having Somebody who, you know, doing this distributive model, for example, working with multiple different teams in multiple different environments and clinic models and different mission statements, different values, different goals and getting a really well-rounded experience there. And I'm assuming if you're if you're bringing these VIPs in to teach and they have a lot of experience, probably that is going to be out in practice, not necessarily in an in an academic setting. And so bringing in not only their technical knowledge, but also their real world experience of working in different clinics and the type of challenges that they faced outside of, say, just one institution, I think could be really beneficial way beyond just a technical proficiency.
1: Totally. And, there's certain safeguards that you have to have in place, right? Simply because somebody has got a ton of experience doesn't make them a great instructor. And so there's certain training that people would have to go through in order to make sure that they're imparting that, uh, that wisdom, that experience appropriately, but on the whole, to have so many different kinds of people who are in practice training the next generation you know, it's it's actually, it makes me think that we're actually going back to an older model of education where it was the apprentice and the master, right? And that was one of the best ways of getting educated because you would get real world feedback on a regular basis. And it's not to discount the work that the, the specialists are doing uh, in the academic institutions, because there's a reason why they're specialists. You know, they have a ton of information, but when you compare that with practical hands-on experience so people are getting across multiple different locations that's only going to make a a better more well-rounded veterinarian in the future
0: And I I love the way that you put that, because I think that's a really important point that, you know, not at all discounting the value that the specialists bring to the table. It's that team approach of somebody who's a specialist in a particular area versus somebody that's bringing a different type of experience and then working together to impart this knowledge into veterinary students and, and residents and interns, et cetera, et cetera, and really making it a team approach where everybody can shine at what they, where they excel. Exactly. That, that, I feel like that was a lot of mumbo jumbo, but <laughs> oh,
1: that, that sounds great. Yeah,
0: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. I think we can certainly agree workforce shortage is going to be an ongoing discussion for quite some time. I know there's there's a lot of ideas, many of which we've touched on right here as far as how to address it. So it'll be really interesting to watch how the conversation continues in the future and some of the solutions that um, that work or that don't work and that are that we try out and, and where everything ends up.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the thing, because I try to think about visuals um, as a way of understanding what's happening. And the, the thing that I really want to avoid is, you know, basic trench warfare, where you like really dig in because you've got your position and there's this other position and you're just kind of like shooting over top of each other. That is not good for anyone. Right. And so if we can say, look, let's just figure out where we agree and where we disagree. Let's define some shared criteria for some of these different things and then let's move forward. And and maybe there's there is fundamental disagreement, but at least being clear about that rather than taking pot shots at each other um, from a distance.
0: Absolutely. Let's stay out of the Facebook comments. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's circle back around to AI. Uh, we dove into that earlier and. You know, of course, there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, I mean, we touched on efficiency, but even more than that, with the the implementation of AI into veterinary medicine in general. Can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Uh, so AI is, is everywhere, right? Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's incorporating it on some level. Um, or thinking about how to incorporate it into their business. It's it's funny, right? Because there's when you dig into this and you start looking back at the literature, there's something called the AI effect, where when something is new, it's basically called AI. And then once it's kind of been in part of the industry for a while, then it's no longer called AI. For example, Most people wouldn't say that optical character recognition, you know, sliding in, um, scanning something and then having it recognize the characters. Most people wouldn't say that that's AI, but when that first came out, that was totally considered AI, right? And so there's this like AI effect. And I think we're at the, nearing the peak of that hype cycle, where if you say AI, then clearly you're innovative, right? Like that's, and we're kind of getting away from that and trying to figure out specifically, what does that mean and how are people using it? Um, so we we talked a little bit about ChatGPT as being one of the things that people are using, but it's fitting in everywhere from radiology to, and that would include, at first it was primarily focusing on reading radiographs, but now it's ultrasound. Uh, so you look at some of the companies in the human space and a lot of people were saying, well, you couldn't use AI for uh, ultrasound because you're dealing with a three-dimensional space and not a two-dimensional image. And now we're finding out that that's just not true. And so AI is being able to find things on an ultrasound that the human eye can't find. Uh, We look at endoscopy and AI is being able to find uh, polyps that humans can't see yet. But if once they, the the real value of AI is being with respect to images is being able to find an area of interest, right? So as you're, if you got the endoscope and you're down in, you know, say large intestine or wherever in the stomach, the AI can identify a region of interest that you should just move the scope towards. And so then being able to identify whether or not there's a polyp up there. So that's that's a really great use of AI is being able to supplement and augment the work that the practitioner is, is doing. Then we have things like decision support. And so you're putting your signal signal in, and then the AI is saying, well, here's some possible uh, treatment plans that you want to consider, right? So people are building out those tools. Then there's things like uh, Vetscribe and Scribble and all these other ones that are uh, speech to text. And so the AI is actually reading uh, what you're saying and being able to put that into a soap note format to be able to save you time. There's so many different examples of how this is impacting veterinary medicine. One of the quotes that I really love is that the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed, right? Most people just don't know that this technology exists and that it's available for them. The really positive ones that I really try to focus on are how are we actually saving more time for the veterinarians and getting faster time to diagnosis and a better treatment plan that's available? There's too many companies out there that are like, well, if you just added on this bolt-on service and it it just took two minutes more of your time per appointment, you know, and they're using AI as part of that, like, that's not really great. That's not really helpful. But can we focus more on like, look, you should be trying to save veterinarians' times and the veterinary professional team time. That should be your focus, not adding more bolt-on features. And so that's the kind of advice we typically provide to those startups. But yeah, there's just so many different examples of how it's hitting the the space and way more on the human side than we've seen so far on the veterinary side. But there's a lot of spillover that's happening that's pretty exciting.
0: Absolutely. Um, And on the pet owner side as well.
1: Totally. So there's uh, companies that are going direct-to-consumer. And uh, so TT Care, Sylvester AI, uh, Companion, all of these companies are uh, apps that consumers can use to be able to figure out, is my cat in pain? Is that derm issue something that I should be concerned about? Are there orthopedic issues that are starting to show up? What's the body condition score of my animal? All of these things are being done through computer vision AI. Uh, and for me, that that's exciting and the reason why it's exciting is it takes away some of that concern from the pet owner's perspective of is this a problem or not right like that was that was one of the major values of telemedicine early on is that you could engage with animal owners sooner and so they could use your service just as a screening tool to say yes this is something you should be concerned about yes you should come into the clinic cuz we saw some of the data coming out of telemedicine where people were twice as likely to go into the clinic and they cut their wait time in half for going into the clinic if they had advice from somebody through your telemedicine platform. These tools are doing the same thing. All it's doing is telling the owner, yes, you should be concerned or no, you don't need to be concerned about this. And for me, if that means faster and better care for more animals and less animals suffering because their owners aren't really sure what's going on, that's a win. You know, and that's how I try to frame these. And sure, some companies have maybe ulterior motives or something like that. But if they're used appropriately and the veterinarian exercises her professional medical opinion to bring these into the clinic, it's only going to make things better for the animals that we love and care for.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's like anything. It's a tool to help improve patient care, Um, just like, you know, we talked about ChatGPT several times, just like I'm not gonna type something in then print it out and hand it off, I'm gonna read it and make sure it's appropriate and everything like that. As long as these are used in context and in in conjunction with the, the human side of things, then they can really just augment the experience all around. Well, we've covered a whole lot of really big topics in the industry in this conversation. Let me wrap up by asking you about trends. Um, as far as the future goes, what do you feel are some of the biggest trends in veterinary medicine now?
1: At-home screening is only going to get bigger. And that includes everything from DNA testing, microbiome testing, um, wearable collars, computer vision that's built into so some of the technologies that's available, data sources. So for example, I've got a litter box And that tells me how often my cat is going in there, and how much she weighs. And so when we were going away on vacation, we saw her weight drop by half a pound. And so she went from eight pounds to seven and a half pounds. And there was some variance in there. But once you normalize that variance, and you saw, okay, so we also have a connected uh, smart feeder for her. And so we just said, okay, we're just going to up her food distribution by a quarter cup per day until we see her weight back up. Right. So it's it's data driven insights about our animals that is really going to drive a lot of the conversations going forward. And those veterinarians who are able to take advantage of that and bring that into their practice and pair up with the companies in order to have data dashboards like that. I absolutely see that happening in the near future because some veterinarians are already doing that. But again, Features here, it's just not evenly distributed. So, uh, at home connected care solutions and early screening—not diagnostics, but early screening—is definitely one of those trends. AI for sure. It's as we talked about already. It's a, um, influencing everything that we're doing. There's more and more companies that are coming from the human side into veterinary medicine, and so there's a lot of these diagnostic companies who would love to get into the veterinary space. Uh, so those are three big trends that are happening right now another trend that's not so positive is that we're probably going to see a drop off in the amount of private equity and venture capital that's coming into the space over the next little bit and so how that affects veterinary medicine is yet to be seen but at minimum it's getting harder and harder for startup companies to get access to capital in order to grow their business and so from that perspective there's definitely some innovation challenges that are there on top of that, one of the big reasons why veterinarians are getting offers as they come out of vet school in the neighborhood of 130 to $150,000 is because the competition for labor was so high because there was so much expansion that was happening in vet management. So, so many practices that were being bought and sold and, and moved and growth and de novos and all of this stuff was driving the cost of labor way up. If we see a slowdown, in private equity and venture capital from these roll ups, then we're going to see a decrease or at least a, a leveling off of some of those initial offers uh, for veterinarians, which is going to exacerbate other problems, such as if your debt to income ratio is based on your debt and your income and your income drops off a little bit and your debt goes up, then we get into those scary territories that are not going to be uh, helpful for younger veterinarians as they come out. One of the biggest challenges with that, and I can go on for a while, but I'll say this and I'll stop. But one of the biggest challenges for that is that we know that the more debt that someone takes on, the less risk they're willing to take on. And so if they're willing to take on less risk, they're probably willing to take on less ownership, which then means that they're less likely to have the major payout, which is actually going to pay off their debt. Right, and so you've got this like kind of vicious cycle that we're probably going to start to see a little bit of, which is not so positive. Um, but hopefully, more veterinarians will come out feeling empowered to run their own clinic, and if they can do that, then the payoffs for them and their ability to pay back their debt uh, will will be that much greater. So those are some of the trends that I've seen recently. There's a bunch of other stuff that's like really. Um, strange, like there's more and more companies who are creating uh, wearable collars and smart watches that are just being white labeled by other companies, and so all the all the technology that we're seeing there, it's growing at an exponential rate. We're just not really seeing it incorporated into vet med, and so how do we think about about that as this influx of data points comes in? How are veterinarians going to take advantage of that? So there's a bunch of other interesting things too. I, I just I'm so privileged to be able to go to different conferences like the Consumer Electronics Show and um, the partnership that we have with NAVC and all the support that we get from them enables us to look at some of these issues. And then our sponsors are unbelievable for just like kind of taking my leash off and just letting me go um, and explore these things. And so we're as I go to more and more conferences and talk with more and more people, we're just going to see more and more of these trends coming in.
0: It's the way I've kind of felt about the industry. I, I feel like my whole career, and will continue to feel this way. of It's just like, stay tuned because big changes are continuing to happen throughout the industry. Um, some good, some bad, but it'll be really, I think, really interesting. Probably really rewarding. Um, even even with some of the the more concerning changes that we need to watch, to just be in in such a cool and evolving and dynamic industry. Um, And I know not everybody shares my excitement for veterinary medicine, but I I really do love it. I think it's the coolest career and talking to you and, and some of the things that are on the horizon that can just that can result in just major changes to what we've been used to in the past. I mean, I think I think it sounds really exciting and really cool.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you share that perspective, because um, I'm lucky in that I'm surrounded by a bunch of people like that. And so when I encounter the really negative people who say that, you know, they wouldn't recommend this to their kids and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, To me, those seem like the outliers rather than the majority of the opinion. And that's what we're trying to attract is it's just those people who are thinking positively about the future and and how they can take ownership over that, right? That they're not just passive recipients of what that future looks like, but that they're empowered to make those changes that are going to be beneficial for them and for generations to come. Like, those are the people that I love being around. And so it's awesome to have this conversation with you and and share some of those perspectives.
0: Absolutely. I was going to say, if we don't if we don't think about wrapping up this conversation, we're going to dive off into into <laughs> philosophy and different parts of the industry and get into animal care and all kinds of different stuff. So I hope that, that at some point you and I can do that. But thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing all of your insight. Um, I, I still feel the same way I did at the beginning of our conversation. You guys really have your work cut out for you, but so happy that there are people like you out there that are, are doing that work, having those conversations, learning about these trends, and, and really helping us navigate some of the big changes that are that are coming down through the industry.
1: I'm so excited to be in this position. It's the perfect job for me. And yeah, so I'm, I'm just really happy.
0: Well, thank you again for joining me. I should open up any final thoughts you want to share before we wrap it up?
1: I think the main thing is try to find that group of people that you feel energized by. There are so many amazing, incredibly intelligent people in veterinary medicine, and they're always looking to talk with more people who are thinking positively about the future. Try to find those people and and spend your time with them and and try to avoid some of the other people who might not be thinking so positively about the future.
0: I think that's great advice. (laughs) Well, Aaron, thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on the, the podcast today.
1: Totally my pleasure.
0: What to even say at the end of an episode like that, other than I hope all of you enjoyed it as much as I did huge thank you to Dr. Massacar for joining me. Thank you to the Veterinary Innovation Council for all that you do. Definitely check out the Veterinary Innovation and Entrepreneurship Certificate on Vetfolio. And a huge thanks to everyone who joined us. If you enjoyed this episode, I don't know how it works, but I'm told that if you leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, it'll help our fellow veterinary colleagues find this and other episodes. If you would like to find more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this episode, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.